Hello everyone, and welcome to Exploring Middle Earth. My hey. name is Jay, and I'm here today with Grant. Yep, my name is Grant. Same as always. Same as always. Um, Never changes. Well, it has changed from the beginning, but yeah. yeah we don't like to talk about that. Hasn't changed since. Yeah, but today we're coming back at at you, at you, <laughs> at you, dude. We're coming back at you with um, chapters seven and eight of the Lord of the Rings, uh, book one, uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. Yes, deep dive, well, deep dive. Yeah. So if you're new to this, go back and listen to the first episode of this because we're a few episodes into the deep dive of the Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah. What is this number four of the deep dive? I, I think. think so. But yeah, it would make yeah. sense if we do it two chapters every time and we're on seven and eight now that would make sense <laughs> yeah yeah so we're doing um today chapter seven and eight in the house of tom bombadil and then fog on the barrow downs which are great chapters yes not the in the best. movies um yeah so it's fun to read these because it's not something not something that you see in the movies so it's like this whole new uh world for you if you haven't if you've only seen the movies yeah but yeah so i'll start with the cha- uh, summary of chapter seven um, so the title, like I said, is in the house of Tom Bombadil. Um, we met Tom Bombadil last chapter in, um, or was it two chapters? No, was, yeah. The last chapter. Yeah. Uh, old forest. When he saved the, uh, four hobbits from old man Willow. Um, and then he brings them back to their house and they meet Goldberry. So Tom Bombadil's house is a warm and comforting place. And, um, uh, the uh, Goldberry, who is Tom's wife, uh, moves Frodo in a similar way to that of the elves. Like her presence, she doesn't physically move him. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Frodo asks Goldberry who Tom is, and she replies uh, somewhat mysteriously that he's the master of wood, water, and hill, um, which just leaves Bill or Frodo confused. Yeah. And then Bilbo Tom, too, if he yeah. met him. Yeah. I wonder if Bilbo did ever meet him and never wrote about it. That's probably true because he did. Well, I don't know. When he went with the dwarves, I'm assuming he just took, like, the main road that goes to Bree because, I mean, he wasn't in any danger. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I don't know, maybe because he did, he did go on a lot of walks, you know, and then, like, towards the end of, like, when he was about to leave the Shire, too, I think when he did leave, I think he just, like, went and went on a few adventures. So I, I don't doubt he probably met or at least have has heard of tom bombadil before so yeah maybe yeah, that's maybe. a very interesting uh concept maybe that's something we can explore in a deep deep dive ah uh, deep deep dive deep deep yeah so tom leaves leaves the hobbit leads the hobbits he doesn't leave yes. well he does leave him he leads him to the rooms and then leads him yeah but they wash up for dinner get all clean yep um so that night frodo dreams of a great tower of stone and a man standing atop it which is if you listen to the last episode, Grant went over Frodo's reoccurring dreams. So this is just another instance of Frodo dreaming. And what does it mean? Grant will probably talk to about Yes, it. I will. Um, so in the dream, uh, I'll just quick skim over it because Grant's going to go into depth. But um, the man raises his staff and a giant eagle swoops down and carries him away. Um, and there's other stuff that goes on, but Grant will go more into depth on the dream. So Pippin and Mary also have troubling dreams, but they hear the voice of Tom Bombadil and they're sleeping or comforted. Uh, it's not confirmed if that's actually Tom Bombadil in the room talking to them or just their dreams. Yeah, like just or like a memory of him saying it or something. Yeah. Would it? Be, would you think that'd be creepy or comforting to have Tom Bombadil in your room talking to you while you sleep? I don't know. I'd probably be startled at first. Yeah. So yeah, who knows? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe if you haven't met him before, it'd be yeah. weird. I mean, they they only just met him, so I don't know. But so they wake up and it's a rainy day. Um, 
So the hobbits accept Tom's invitation to stay another day before starting out again. And they're excited about it. They're not disappointed about not having to leave. Yeah, a rainy day at Tom yeah. Bombadil's cottage. Nice. Yeah, so all day they sit as Tom uh, tells stories to them about the old forest, um, how it resented the animals and the people that roamed through it and hacked down t- and burned trees. And then Tom, tell- Tom tells them about the cities that rose and fell in the hills near his house, which have left only crumbled rampants. A ramparts on hilltops and grave mounds haunted by spirits called barrel whites. W I G H T. Yeah. W H I T. Phonetically or phonetically the same. I always say phonetically. Phonetically, it'd be wits, barrel wits. Yeah. But it's whites, barrel whites. So um, then Tom tells, uh, then Tom's story meanders back into the time of the very beginnings of Middle Earth, um, which Grant and I will. well, is my topic, but Grant will also have stuff to say about Tom and how he knows yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and then when the story ends, Frodo asks Tom who he is. Tom answers simply that he's the eldest. Uh, he's older than anything else in Middle Earth, and uh, even he remembers a time before Sauron. Um, so then the group eats dinner, uh, even better than the last. And afterward, Goldberry sings for them, and Tom asks Frodo about his journey. Uh, Tom has already heard much of from Gildor and Farmer Maggot because um, Tom gets around, you know, and he talks to people. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom asks to see the ring, and to everyone's surprise, when he puts it on his finger, his little finger, pinky finger, yeah. uh, he does not disappear. He's still there. Um, then Tom spins the ring in the air and makes it disappear, but then smilingly hands it back to Frodo. Then Frodo feels suspicious and a bit annoyed at Tom. Uh, this is kind of like the first um, we see of the the ring having an effect on Frodo of him being greedy or selfish about it. Yeah, he was he was annoyed that Tom was able to play like such a like sleight of hand trick with his ring. Yeah, um, and then to make sure Tom has given him back the real ring, Frodo puts it on his finger, um, and this is the first time he has put it on his finger. Um, Frodo does. Uh, disappear it's the real ring um but then he starts creeping away towards the door and tom is able to see him and calls out and says what are you doing i can i'm can still see you um and then tom tells the hobbits that it will be sunny the next day and he warns them to steer clear of the barrow the barrows the bury which are burial mounds and teaches them a rhyme to sing if they run into trouble and that's the end of the chapter yeah so yeah grant's gonna give you a Summary of chapter eight, and then we'll get into the topics. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, definitely one of my favorite chapters right there. And then this one, too. Um, basically from, like, well, I, I say this almost every episode that we talk about it, but basically from um, chapter three, I want to say. Three is company. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, that's what it is. From chapter three, three is company, when Frodo and um, Sam and... Uh, Pippin begin their journey through the Shire and then through the Old Forest and then in the House of Tom Bombadil and then Fog on the Barrow Downs. Those are my absolute favorite chapters. They are good um, chapters. And I've said this in other episodes too. It, it reminds me a lot of like, they're very almost like Hobbit, like Hobbit as in like the book Hobbit, mm-hmm. not the people Hobbit. Um, yeah, so those are some of my favorite chapters. And then I'll here we got the uh, summary of chapter eight, Fog on the Barrow Downs. So already you know it's going to be a little spooky, spooky. A, little, a, little, a little mystic or yeah. mysterious, something like that. Spooky chapter. Yeah. Um, 
So anyways, uh, the weather finally clears enough for the four hobbits to depart from the beloved house of Tom and Goldberry. And they wave and say goodbye to Tom as they trot down the lane. Um, and it kind of leads into the hills right away. But suddenly, they're aware. Uh, they forgot to say goodbye to Goldberry. Um, and so Frodo, he gets a little upset um, that he forgot to say goodbye to such a lovely lady. But then she appears out of nowhere on the top of the hill, dancing the mists away. And they bow to her as they ride off. So he got he got his wish. We got to see Do you her. think... Um, here's a quick... Just I just thought of this. So Frodo's kind of being a simp there, you know? Yeah, a little Do bit. Do you think... Frodo was more of a simp when he was like, oh, shoot, we forgot to say goodbye to Goldberry. Let's turn around this whole operation and head back to say goodbye to her. Or um, when Galadriel, um, oh, shoot, what's the name of the Gimli? When Gimli asks for um, Galadriel's lock of hair as his gift. Oh, who's the who's the biggest simp? simp? Yeah. Oh, maybe we have to have a whole episode on this. I don't know. Because um, I always thought that. Gimli was being a big simp because it's like they could get these crazy gifts and he just asks for a lock of her hair, which I mean, it's still super valuable and everything, but just the way he asks, it's like just a lock of your hair or whatever. And Frodo uh, was like, they're already out on their way. And then he's like, wait, let's turn around because I forgot to say goodbye to a lady who is yeah. married, by the way. Yeah, I don't, well, Galadriel was too. Oh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I almost want to say Goldberry or Frodo and Goldberry because. Like Frodo knew, well, I mean, maybe he didn't know the full extent of the, um, I guess the mission he was on or whatever, the journey he was on until he gets to Rivendell. But yeah, even then he did know that he was holding the one ring and that there were black riders looking for him. And he, he wanted to risk it just for a chance to say goodbye to Goldberry. Whereas like that is like, it's just a small, simple thing. Like I want to say goodbye but then for Gimli, it's like such a big thing that it's almost like, I think you almost have to simp for that. You know yeah. what I mean? I guess it like seems like a simp thing for Gimli, but if you think about the significance of her hair, yeah. it's a big deal. Yeah. Just saying goodbye to Goldberry, I don't know. But you know what? Neither of us it's, have actually uh, met Goldberry. Maybe we would simp over Goldberry. And neither of us even have like talked to any girls, oh. so we <laughs> yeah. don't actually know. Yeah, um, Yeah. merely a trifle, though. Yeah. Merely a trifle. Uh, yeah, so they say goodbye to her and they go on their way. Um, and yeah, as the mist and the fogs clear in the morning, and they they uh, they're kind of in the tops of the hills or like kind of lower hills outside of the old forest, they can see the valley of the Brandywine and the Withywindle rivers to the west and south, respectively. <laughs> and uh, even a you know with respect, yeah. and even a far off glimpse of the misty mountains to the east. Um, Anyway, so they continue on their northeast trajectory, hoping to um, reach the road that leads to Bree by kind of taking a shortcut through the hills, um, you know, because they want to stay away from the Black Riders if they're in the, on the road, but they want to still make towards the road so that by the time they reach the end of the road and Bree, then they can quick hop on the road and get into Bree. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, yeah, so... Uh, they're, yeah, so they're in the hills now, and they start to become a little taller, a little rockier. Um, and then they start seeing these, like, tall standing stones um, that are kind of, like, dotting the hills. And some of them are, like, formed in rings. Some of them are by themselves. And uh, it's just kind of, like, the whole place gives off creepy vibes. And it says in that uh, chapter, The Fog on the Barrow Downs, it, it mentions that, like, even the Barrow Downs are, like... Um, like they've got some sort of like spooky tales behind them, like even known to the hobbits in the Shire 
Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's some level of uh, understanding that they're in spooky territory. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so they, they continue on and the sun starts to kind of climb into the sky and it's about afternoon and it's like late September, but it's still like, you know, like late September suns, they can get pretty warm sometimes. That's what so, we're in right now, dude. Yeah. September we're, suns. We're about to hit a we're about to hit a eighty degree weekend. Yeah. It's gonna be that's gonna be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so they're kinda like halfway through the hills and it gets really warm out and they find this big stone um that's like really cool to the touch. Um so they're like, Yeah, we'll just sit and rest up against the stone and kinda cool off and have our lunch and whatnot. Um, but then beca- because they are exhausted from walking up and down and up and down hills and the sun is warm and they just ate their lunch, they um, start to get drowsy and then they fall asleep. Um, And they're not really aware of their danger. They just are like, yeah, we'll just take a quick nap, I guess. But when they wake up, they are surprised to see that the hills have become covered with thick fog and the sun is setting Mm, in the west. And they kind of discover that the hill that they're on is almost like an island in the fog, but then soon it, like, almost like closes over like like a roof over them and it like the space they're in just kind of stays the same and the standing stone that they were next to almost becomes like a pillar that's holding up a roof of fog so they're kind of like trapped in this hall of fog um yeah so anyways they are like okay we should probably get out of here um because it's going to get dark pretty soon and they don't want to be trapped in the hills um so they start to walk single file so as not to get lost they're just following one another and but it does become very dark quickly because if you're ever in fog, like even, even like, even if you have like a little bit of sun left or whatever, or just a little bit of light, it like quickly gets shut out because it's just yeah. so foggy. Try driving in fog. Yeah. Your headlights are like, it was pretty foggy this morning, actually. Yeah. Not by me, but no, I understand that fog can be in different places. Yes. <laughs> yes. No, it was not, not foggy. Right? Not by me. Nope. Uh, yeah, anyways, uh, so Frodo takes the lead and he eventually reaches what he thinks is the opening to the, um, to kind of like the lands by the road that he saw from a ways away. But then he gets up to it and he finds that his way is blocked by these two giant standing stones that are almost leaning up against each other and they almost like form a little doorway. Um, and he had not seen these before. Like he didn't, like you would have thought that these giant standing stones would have been seen from a distance when you're on top of a hill, but he, he didn't see them. Um, so he's a little confused. Um, and he finds that his way or yeah, he finds that his way is blocked by those stones. And then he gets like a weird, uneasy feeling. Things start to get real cold real quick and everything's dark. And then all of a sudden his pony becomes, um, nervous and bucks Frodo off. And, um, and then when Frodo finally kind of gathers his senses, he's like calling for everybody and then realizes, oh, uh, nobody else is around me. He's oh, by himself. Shoot. So then he starts calling for his friends again, trying to figure out where they're at. And then um, he starts he- hearing just like kind of here and there after a while, like someone calling for help. And it sort of sounds like his friends, but it's like a little different. So he's just not really sure like where they are or like if they had somehow found their way out of the hills and if he was trapped there by himself. Um, And these strange voices keep crying out and beckoning Frodo in different directions, and he's starting to get lost and confused because of all the things that are going on. And then all of a sudden he finds himself in front of the entrance to a dark barrow, and he calls out one more time, only to hear the unsettling answer come from the ground, Here, I am waiting for you. 
And then and he's like, really? Uh, no, but then he, he tries, Frodo tries to run away because he recognizes that it's not his friends that are calling for him. Um, but he finds that he is like really weak and then he just collapses to the ground. And all that he remembers seeing is a dark figure looming out of the doorway with glowing, like pale glowing eyes and then grabs him with cold, strong fingers. And then after a while he wakes up and he finds that he's laying upon a stone slab in one of the barrows. Um, and while he's laying there and he's kind of like scared and not really sure, like he thinks this is the end. Um, he all of a sudden thinks of Bilbo and all of his adventures. And he wonders if, I mean, like, is this going to be the end of my own adventure? And, um, like, it would be like such a grim and morbid way to go out like this. And I haven't even gotten that far yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but this morbid thought gives him the courage he needs in the dark and he's able to break from the barrel white spell and he finds that he can actually move a little, um, and eventually like as his like limbs start to warm up and he can move his arms and stuff, he, uh, he gets up off of his, off the stone and, um, <clears throat> and he, he kind of looks around and he can see an eerie glow around him. And then he also sees Sam, Mary and Pippin line upon stone slabs in white robes and with golden crowns. And there's a bunch of swords and treasure all around them. And there's one long naked sword laying across their necks naked. Aren't they all naked too? Um, no, they do get naked though. Oh, <laughs> later, okay. Later. Yeah. Oh, we just spoil it, dude. <laughs> oh, sorry, dude. I don't um, know if you're making an innuendo <laughs> about a long naked sword. No. <laughs> Across their necks. Yeah. Well, Whose sword is it? Yeah, that's weird. <laughs> um, and then the Barrow Whites begin to speak, and it's mm -hmm. like a, it's like a strange, it's almost like a strange, cold language at first, um, but then slowly Frodo can understand it, and this is what it says, almost like a chant. Cold be hand and heart and bone, and cold be sleep under stone. Never more to wake on stony bed, never till the sun fails and the moon is dead. In the black wind the stars shall die, and still on gold here let them lie, till the dark lord lifts up his hand over dead sea and withered land. Nice, great. And like, creepy. Creepy, but nice. But yeah, realizing the danger that's about to happen with all these Barrow Whites starting to gather around him and his friends, Frodo leaps up and grabs one of the swords on the ground, and he chops off one of the hands of the Barrow Whites. Oof. Yeah, big time move right there. Uh, Frodo tries to wake Mary up, but nothing works. Um, he then starts to remember that song that Tom had taught them if ever they were in trouble um, in the Barrow Downs. And he sings it faintly at first, trying to remember the lyrics because his head is still a little foggy from being basically enchanted. Um, but then as he starts to sing, his voice grows stronger and then the magic starts working. I guess you could call it magic, but it basically calls Tom from a distance. And then suddenly he can hear Tom outside the barrow singing the other verses of the song. Um, and then Tom comes in and helps Frodo and Frodo's starting to feel a little better now. And like, he's able to help out and they help carry all the hobbits out. Um, and then the hobbits have a quick bite to eat that, uh, Tom brought some food over with him and gives them some food to eat cause they lost all their ponies. Yeah. Um, and then Tom also calls out for his own pony named Fatty Lumpkin. And he tells him to gather all the ponies that they had lost so they could get all their food back. But then all their clothes are gone because the Barrow Whites took their clothes and then put them in white robes. Um, 
So then Tom just stripped him basically. And he said, yeah, go, go run around naked in the grass and I'll, I'll go get some new clothes for you. So Tom's a weird guy. Yeah. Tom just wanted to see him run around naked. It was kind of weird. He had good intentions, but the way he goes about is kind of weird. Yeah. And then, uh, just for a brief moment too, uh, when Mary comes out, he thinks he is the last Prince of Cardolan, which is one of the uh, old kingdoms in that area. Mm-hmm. And he even recounts accurate memories and events from years ago as if he were the last Prince of Cardolan. It's just a little bit of the enchantment working on him. Dang. Um, yeah, and then Tom goes in one last time while they're eating breakfast because it's like the night has passed already. Like they were in there for a while. Yeah. And it's already the morning. Time. Yeah, they took their time. <laughs> uh, Tom goes in one last time and he takes a bunch of treasure and he piles it in the grass in front of the barrow. Um and he gives to each of the hobbits a uh, a little, it's called a like a leaf-shaped blade, mm-hmm. basically. I don't know if you've ever seen like Sting, basically, mm-hmm. from the movies. That's basically like a leaf-shaped blade. Yeah, not like a maple leaf. That'd be an no, ineffective blade. That'd be a weird blade. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, so he gives them these blades, and then he also takes a small uh, brooch for Goldberry, mm-hmm. like a little little piece of jewelry for Goldberry. He says, mm-hmm. "I think she, I think nice. she'll like this." Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then Tom rides along with the hobbits just to kind of get him back on the right path, and they reach the East Road, and then this is where Tom will leave them. And as night is falling again, because um, it's it's taken them a little while, as night is falling again, Tom instructs the hobbits to keep along the road to find the village of Bree on Bree Hill, and to look for the prancing pony, and um, just kind of like lets them know like. Barlaman Butterbur is a good guy. You can trust him, that sort of thing. And then Mary also tells the hobbits, once they get closer to Bree, that some of the Brandy Bucks um, used to ride out to Bree and stay at the Prancing Pony, so it should be good enough. Um, and then also Frodo reminds everybody he is undercover and must go by Underhill or so else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so then they reach Bree, and that's the end of the chapter of the Fog on the Barrow Downs. Little spooky little chapter. adventure in the hills, a little it's spooky. Like... like two opposites the chapter of at tom bombadil tom bombadil's house is very happy and bright yeah and this barrow down chapter is like spooky and dark yeah very cool very best of both worlds best of both worlds that's right yeah yeah so, so hey, I'm, yeah it, it, yeah i'm gonna <laughs> hop in with uh hop in there man who the heck are tom bombadil and goldberry um, if you've been a long-time listener to the podcast, you already know because episode 11, we talked about Tom Bombadil. Yeah. I don't think we did much on Goldberry, but... Um, no, not really. But yeah, I'm just going to refresh your memory on who they are, or if you haven't listened to the episode and don't know who they are, I'm going to uh, grow your memory. Nice. Um, but yeah, so I'm going to quick read a passage from the chapter. Um, this is when uh, Frodo asks Tom who he is. Um, who are you, master? He asked. Hey, what? Said Tom, sitting up and his eyes glinting in the gloom. Don't you know my name yet? That's the only answer. Tell me who you are, alone, yourself and nameless. But you are young and I am old. Eldest, that's what I am. Mark my words, my friends. Tom was here before the river in the trees. Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. He made paths before the big people and saw the little people arriving. He was here before the kings in the graves of the Barrow Whites. When the elves passed westward, Tom was here already, before the seas were bent. He he knew the dark under the stars when it was fearless, before the Dark Lord came from outside. So, there's a lot to unpack in that sentence, because there's a lot of history in that. Um, But pretty much, Tom was there from the start. 
Um, so Arda is just the planet that Middle Earth is on. Middle Earth is um, a kind of like a continent on Arda. So Middle Earth isn't the entire globe, but so Arda, um, which also has or which also had Numenor and Beleriand in it, so everything that was in it. And Tom was there before Tom was there on Arda before the Living Things, and before darkness came over the land. Um, so I'm not gonna go too into depth on the history of Arda because it would take way too long to go into it. But um, pretty much uh, the uh, um, dwarves were created, but then they weren't sentient. Then the elves came, um, but they were. Uh, in the western lands they weren't in um, Middle Earth and the men were in the Middle Earth and then the elves were exiled out of there and then they came to Middle Earth so from that passage we learned that Tom was there before any of that happened before the elves came to Middle Earth or the um, I mean we can assume that he was there before the dwarves were created and the men were created Yeah, because um, Tom is he calls himself eldest um and Tom was here before the river and the trees. Tom remembers the first raindrop and the first acorn. And he made the pass before the big people, which would be like the men and the elves. Yeah. And the dwarves. I guess you could count the dwarves as part of the big people. Probably. Uh, yeah. And saw the little people arriving. Um, he was uh, here before kings and graves of the Barrowites. So he's been on Middle Earth the entire time. And um, after I... After I talk about it a little more, we can go into like theories about who he actually is. Yeah. Um, but essentially, we don't know where he came from, but he came to Middle Earth, or he was in Middle Earth. We don't know if he came to Middle Earth or he was just there for all time, but he was there yeah. before anybody else, any of the elves, men, or dwarves from Middle Earth. And probably he was there before um, the uh, Valar, too, because the Valar weren't even there to begin with on Arda, they had to come down from the void where they were with, um, uh, Eru Iluvatar. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So if he was there like always on Arda, then yeah, he might've even been there before the Valar, which is pretty crazy to think about. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is it also possible he was there before the Valar or the Ainur were even made? Who knows? Yeah, we, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Thanks. But, yeah, you're welcome. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, so he was, um, after wandering a while, he settled on exploring Eriador. So, um, at least when we meet him in this timeline, because, um, or this part of the timeline, um, he is just exploring the old forest in Eriador area. Um, he doesn't really wander outside of there. So, uh, um, uh, t- uh, so Tom Bombadil eventually he settles outside of the old forest, um, and there he saw the rise and fall of the realm of Angmar, uh, and its wars that led to the Barrow Downs being inhabited by evil spirits called the Barrow Whites, which Grant will go into more depth. Yes. He also saw the arrival of hobbits in the region, um, and then, uh, eventually would become the Shire, um, which led him to occasionally interact with the little folk, mostly in Buckland. Um, but, um, so Tom is just a, uh, just a dude just living around. And just his wife, a dude. His wife, Goldberry, um, she is also a interesting lady because she's just not a regular lady. Um, <laughs> she's an interesting lady. Yeah. She, uh, she also doesn't 
really have origins that we know of. Um, mm-hmm. It is it's speculated that she's a ri- river spirit from the river river Withy Windle. Yes. River spirit from the river Withy Windle. Um, uh, but it's not really known exactly. Um, and she is just uh, just this like spirit lady, um, kind of elvish, I guess, because she's just so mythical and sp- uh, more of like a spirit than an actual person. Yeah. Um, but according to the uh, Adventures of Tom Bombadil, which we talked about last episode, it's like a poetic book written by some hobbits. Well, it was written by Tolkien, but it's mm-hmm. supposed to be written yeah. by some hobbits. Um, Goldberry was in the Withywindle when she pulled Tom by his beard underneath the water lilies out of mischief, but he ordered her to let him free, and the next day came to the river woman and asked Goldberry to be his wife, um, and the creatures of the old forest uh, attended their wedding. And the river woman is just said to be the mother of Goldberry, um, and she's uh, only mentioned in the uh, poems of Tom Bombadil, so we don't really know what exactly she is. But Tom Bombadil goes and asks her for his daughter, her daughter's hand in marriage. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, like we talked about earlier, Tom Bombadil interacts with other people. Like um, he's good friends with uh, Farmer Maggot, and um, because of this interaction came the Adventures of Tom Bombadil, which is that poetic book written by some hobbits. Um, and yeah, so. Uh, we can go before we go into why he wasn't affected. But well, let's say why he was affected by the ring, and then we can use that to as like a jump-off point. To yeah, his theories. So, um, he put the ring on his pinky finger, and he wasn't blind or not blind. <laughs> well, he wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I guess he wasn't uh, invisible. Invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is the only instance of somebody putting on the ring and it not having an effect on them. Yeah. And then. Also, another some things to note with that he wasn't invisible, but also didn't seem to. Uh, he didn't uh, want the ring. Yeah, like it didn't. Um, it didn't, or he didn't steal the ring. He willingly gave it back. Which, other than um, Bilbo, uh, is the only other person to give the to willingly give up the ring. But t- technically, I don't think he would technically be a ring bearer because he put it on. But he didn't. I don't know. Do you, would you count him as a ring bearer for putting it on for the few seconds? No, I I don't think so. Yeah. So technically, Bilbo is still the only ring bearer who gave it up willingly. But Tom Bombadil gave it up willingly. He had it in his possession, then he gave it up willingly. Yeah. Um. So that's one thing to note. Another thing to note, I didn't notice it until this read through, is that um, it talks about the ring going on Tom's finger here. I'll see if I can find it. Um. It would be the ring goes on Tom's finger. Uh, page. Um, so it says, "Show me the precious ring," he said suddenly in the midst of the story. And Frodo, to his own astonishment, drew out the chain from his pocket, unfastened the ring, and handed it at once to Tom. It seemed to grow larger as it lay for a moment in his big brown skin hand. Then suddenly he put it to his eye and laughed. For a second, the hobbits had a vision, both comical and alarming, of his bright blue eye gleaming through a circle of gold. Then, pu- then Tom put the ring round the end of his little finger and held it up to the candlelight. For a moment, the hobbits noticed nothing strange about this. Then they gasped. Uh, there was no sign of Tom disappearing. Um, 
then Tom threw up threw it up in the air and caught it. Yeah. Um and uh one thing to note is that the ring did change size when uh Tom had it in his hand, which is interesting because if the ring has is its like own sentient being, I guess, it um chooses like we've talked about it chooses to go to different people. Yeah. So when Tom put it when it put it's or when it got put into Tom's hand, it grew in size to fit Tom's finger. Um, only his pinky finger, which is, uh, I don't know why he put on his pinky finger, but, um, just for fun. Yeah. But it's just interesting that the ring would, um, grow in size to fit Tom. If Tom is an obvious person to not be a good ring bearer, uh, to bring it to, uh, be brought to Mount doom or be brought to Sauron. Um, it was just something interesting. I thought about, uh, with because if you think of it as the ring having its own will Mm -hmm. um what would have happened or if it would have if it willingly would have went to tom and if it wanted tom as a ring bearer or if it even knew because tom seems to be way above all this magic and all this sorcery and stuff yeah so it's interesting to think of if the ring even knew the power that tom bombadil had or what it was getting into if it was put on or if tom uh became a ring bearer but um so why did tom not or why wasn't tom affected by the ring there's a few theories about and it has to do with who he actually is Um, yeah so tom bombadil's true nature has been debated over for years um but it's still nobody really knows it's never been confirmed who he is and tolkien um never really said who he was um uh, so, like, the general theory is that um, Tom is one of the Arnur, uh, which were angelic beings who shaped the Earth at the start mm-hmm. of the... Uh, Grant mentioned it with... Um, they came from the Void and then came down to Arda. Um, uh, um, but other theories indicate that he may be a living embodim- embodiment of Arda or Ea, which is, like, the universe, um, of the concentrated goodwill of once neutral elder force or time itself he could be father time um Mm -hmm. it also argued that tom may be reincarnated spirit of the music of the iron or or byproduct of it yeah a representation uh for the reader um and uh some people just say tom is one of the nameless things that inhabited the depths of the world or since the aina lindalee um, which is the creation of Arda. Yeah. Or creation of the whole universe. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Um, some say Tom Bombadil is Eru Uluvatar himself. Um, uh, due to Goldberry saying the statement he is, um, which is interesting because, um, uh, like in the Bible, God says, I am. And, uh, just saying he is, is yeah. kind of like that kind of similar uh, to that but Tolkien does say in one of his letters there's no embodiment of the one of God who indeed remains remote outside of the world um, and he carefully differentiated Goldberry's response from the biblical I am that I am um, so you can make the connection but Tolkien did state that that's not a true connection or that's not a real connection um, mm-hmm. uh it's also speculated the last one um 
that Tom Bombadil is one of the Blue Wizards, uh, which um, uh, there was f- five wizards that came um, or that were sent to Middle Earth, and two of them, the Blue Wizards, went east, and we don't really know much about them. Um, yeah, but I'd say it's pretty safe to say he's not a Blue Wizard. Yeah, so out of all those, which one do you believe is the most accurate um i or you can come up with your own yeah i've said this before but i think yeah um i think him being an uh, incarnation or you know something like that of the music of the Ainur is pretty cool yeah because i mean that would place him after the creation of the Ainur, which means he's not as old as some of the valar mm-hmm. so i don't know if that would really work him calling himself eldest um, but I guess he really wouldn't be eldest anyways if Eru Iluvatar came first before all things, you know. Um, maybe, maybe with the eldest, if he because I like that. Theory. Maybe the eldest on Arda. Because he would be. Because was, only time is in Arda, maybe. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if he was a creation of the music, he would be the first creation outside of Eru uh, in the yeah, Valar. Yeah. He'd be the first thing, because the music was the first thing they created. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So that's that's always been my favorite theory, mm-hmm. um, and I think it I think it sits pretty well. It stands pretty well. Of course, there's also the theory that Tom Bombadil is just Tom Bombadil, and like yeah. Tolkien kind of hints at, is he just doesn't know what Tom Bombadil is supposed to be. So it's just kind of up up in the air. Um, but yeah, you can theorize it all about you want, since Tolkien didn't really have an actual answer for it. So that's always been my favorite theory, and I think one of the more plausible theories, yeah. especially considering that Ungoliant could have been the byproduct of Melkor's song when mm-hmm. he was kind of disrupting the music of the Ainur. Um, so if you put those two together, it almost works very well. So, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I agree with you that that theory makes the most sense. Um, the theory that he was one of the Ainur, um, I don't really buy because he seems a lot more powerful than... Yeah. Like... Because uh, Gandalf and Saruman and Maiar, yeah, yeah, they are still influenced by the Ring, but Tom Bombadil is just above the Ring. Yeah, I don't know how really to say. He's just, it's not like, it's like it's not something he has to deal with. He's outside of the realm of that. I guess if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, I don't think that he is Eru Luvatar himself. Because um, it just doesn't make sense that he would be Eru Luvatar um, with him just being just in Eriador. And um, he does have, seems to have great power, but it doesn't. And like Tolkien said, there's no. Uh, um, oh wait, where is it? They said there was uh, no representation of God, which. Yeah. Eru would be the closest thing to a representation of God. Yeah. Um, so t- I don't think that Tom Bombadil is Eru Luvatar. But yeah, so I think he is uh, the music or embodiment of the music. Yeah, yeah. Which would also, we can go into the theory of why didn't they just have Tom Bombadil take the ring if he wasn't influenced by it? Um, why didn't they just have Tom Bombadil take the ring to Mount Doom? And I think if he is the music, it's just like not even... Uh, he's just outside of that whole uh, thing. Like, it's not the matters of the world of Arda aren't even like a concern for him, I guess. Yeah. I mean, he's concerned about the old force and stuff, but like, 
what he was there from the beginning of time and we can assume he's there to the end of time um and so the matters of he's been he's seen through everything that's happened so this is just another little passing thing that's happening right and i also think gandalf mentions the fact that when that like topic does come up like in rivendell um like uh oh maybe we should just give it to tom bombadil since it doesn't really affect him and he can just keep it hidden or whatever Mm -hmm. um i think gandalf mentions the fact that like tom is not concerned about any of this so he would simply just forget it and that's almost as worse as giving it to the enemy yeah (laughs) um because and anyways the ring would have a like a way to get back to its master so it's not like hiding it forever would really stop it you know so yeah but yeah, that's what I got on who Tom is. Nice, nice. Wise Ring and Goldberry. Yeah. But yeah, like I mentioned, we have a whole episode, episode 11 on Tom Bombadil. Yeah. Um, what's the Tom Bombadil? Yes. And his uh, Italian cousin, Tom Bombaldi. Tom Bombaldi. So go listen to that if you want to learn about more about him and his cousin. Yay. But yeah, um, yeah nice. let's, uh, let's, uh, let's hit a well-deserved ad break, you know. Yeah, let's sit, take an ad break. Sit back, recollect. Enjoy this ad, everyone. Enjoy this ad. Okay, welcome back, everybody, from that little sponsor from yes, Spotify. Um, yeah, so I'm going to be talking about some of the dreams that um, the Hobbits had while they were in Tom Bombadil's house and why they all had dreams. So Frodo and the other Hobbits, you know, as they're staying the night, they start to experience these strange dreams um, in the house of Tom B- B- Bombadil. 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 Bombaldi. Uh, perhaps it's all a part of the magic of Tom's house. Yeah. Uh, Frodo, uh, this is the dream that Jay mentioned earlier, but Frodo dreams that he sees the moon rising over a circle of hills surrounding the plain and with a tall tower at its center. At the top of this tower stands a white-haired figure, and from the plain below come fell voices and the howls of wolves. The figure raises a staff, causing a bright flash. Suddenly, a mighty eagle swoops across the moon and snatches the figure from the tower, bearing it away as the voices below turn into yammers. That's a good word. Yammer? Yammer. Frodo then hears the sound of hooves coming from the east, and he thinks they are the Black Riders. Um, <clears throat> and I also actually talked about this dream in the last episode, where uh, that was one of the dreams that Frodo had that almost like f- like foretold or like prophesied something that was going to happen. Yeah. And... In this dream, the figure he sees is actually Gandalf trapped upon the top of Orthanc, which is Saruman's tower. Um, and it's almost like in real time. And he actually sees Gandalf being picked up by a great, a great, a great eagle and escaping the tower. Um, and it kind of almost like it. Frodo's dream of Gandalf doing that acted as kind of like a call to Gandalf to tell him to come um rescue Frodo because Frodo's like either anxious or stressed or you know like in trouble so it was almost like Gandalf was like okay I gotta I really need to get off this tower you know because he's in trouble Mm -hmm. um and it kind of uh and it and it was also almost like a like Gandalf's way of telling Frodo that like okay I escaped and I'm on my way back you know just kind of like a reassurance that Gandalf is okay and he's coming back um, and Gandalf or Proto didn't even realize it was Gandalf until Rivendell when Gandalf gives his story of him escaping from Orthanc and then Frodo realizes like, oh, that was you. So he kind of missed the point <laughs> a little yeah. bit, but, um, you know, 
it's it's all it's the thought that counts. Um, Pippin dreams a little bit, and uh, he sleeps pleasantly for a little while, but then dreams. Um, he he then dreams that he's woken up. So like in his dream, he wakes up, which is kind of always a weird dream if you've ever had those. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in his dream, he wakes up to sounds of branches tapping and scratching at the walls and windows of the house. Um, and he kind of feels as though he's once again inside old man Willow and he kind of hears his like laughter laughing at his misery and his, his fear, um, of all these trees surrounding the house. Um, and he wakes up in a panic and then he kind of like looks around and he realizes that he's still in Tom Bombadil's house and he kind of feels a little better. And then he tries to get back to sleep and he starts hearing a soft voice repeating to him what Tom and Goldberry had said earlier about putting your fears away and heeding no nightly noises. So then he slept peacefully after that. And when he woke up in the morning, he thought he was going to see like a, like a bunch of trees around the house, but he ended up not seeing it. And he's like, Oh, it really was a dream. Um, and in Mary's dream, he begins to hear the sound of running water. At first it started off as just a trickle, but then the water uh, quickly began to pool around the house to the point where Mary is sure that it will soon break through the windows and drown him. Then he springs he springs out of bed only to realize it was a dream, and then he lies back down, and he too hears a faint voice repeating Goldberry's assurance that nothing can enter Tom's house except the light of the moon and the stars. And then when he wakes up too in the morning... Um, and it's just drizzling a little bit. He realizes, oh, yeah, I guess no water really ever could have flooded the house. Yeah. So he's just like, okay, we're good. The house has a good foundation. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, it's got a good stone foundation. Yeah. Um, and Sam, of course, sleeps like a log. So mm-hmm. he's he's all good. I'm pretty sure it says that in the chapter. I just read that chapter not too long ago. But it says, like, uh, um, Sam, like, slept contentedly or something like that if logs can be contented (laughs) so it's kind of funny a little goofy it's a good way to say sleeps like a log yeah but um good on tolkien (laughs) why were the hobbits induced into strange dreams in the house of tom bombadil it's not like they had any of those dreams while they were in the old forest or like in the shire or anything Mm -hmm. um tom even warns them like before they go to bed not to heed the heed the nightly noises and to put your fears away and Goldberry says that nothing can enter the house except the moonlight and the starlight. So um, these might actually be like actual references to like what could happen. Like, yeah, just like you know, sleep tight, don't let the bed, bed bugs bite, that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Or like, you know, nothing can enter the house except for the light, you know, that sort of thing. Just like don't worry about anything that's going on outside. You know, only starlight and moonlight can get in here. Mm-hmm. Um, while it could be just, kind of reference to those things um these could also like reference things that actually happen around the house um or like or sorry not around like that's what i was trying to say before is they might think that it's happening around the house but it could be that tom knows of the potency of the dreams in his own home like perhaps something about the land that they're in makes them dream or maybe it's the house so maybe he and Goldberry have experienced them before. So they were just kind of warning the hobbits like, yeah, don't worry about the dreams. Just kind of keep sleeping. <laughs> um, yeah. Or maybe Tom produces the dreams for others um, just for fun or whatever. He slipped you know. him something. Yeah, slipped him something before they went to bed. Yeah. Uh, maybe some bad milk. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I also have, I had a theory last episode where I said there was, there was probably not a way that Tom could give Frodo his dream about the tower and the sea, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but maybe it's wrong because the fog on the Barrow Downs chapter has Tom mentioning that he is on the borders of his own land, far out past the Barrow Downs and by the East road close to Bree. If his land extends to that point, who is to say it doesn't extend beyond the old forest on the other side too, like maybe even into Buckland? Because um, after all, the hobbits in Buckland are strange and fond of boating, much like Tom Bombadil. And Tom also mentions he has met with Farmer Maggot many times before. So maybe it wasn't even that um, Farmer Maggot went into the old forest to meet Farmer Maggot, but maybe Tom Bombadil came out of the old forest to meet Farmer Maggot. And that actually shows um, in, uh, what is it, The Adventures of Tom Bombadil, yeah. right? That poem book. Um, it I think it has Tom Bombadil like going down the withy window, like trying to chase an otter or something like that mm-hmm. that stole a feather from him or I don't know, I can't remember, or his hat. Yeah. Um, he actually goes down to where the withy window flows past the village of Haysend which is in the in Buckland. So it's not like he's a stranger to going in the Shire. So it, perhaps his land, his own land does extend beyond the borders of the old forest itself and way out. So yeah. um so my theory last um last episode where I said well Frodo wasn't like when he had that dream he wasn't in the old forest yet so he wasn't really in Tom's realm, you know, or his land, so it's not like he could really do anything. Yeah. Um but Tom was also told by Gildor of Frodo's journey and his peril, and perhaps he gave him, uh, or gave Frodo the dream of the tower as a fleeting assurance that everything will work out in the end, um, you know, and that there will be peace at the end of it, because uh, yeah. it talks about how there's those like tr- creatures like sniffing in the forest below him, but then he sees the sea and he's whisked off to a, a different land. So. Um, yeah, so uh, this brings about a lot more speculations, which would kind of take us forever to get through. So um, for now, I'm just going to leave it at the fact that maybe my theory from last episode was wrong, and Tom actually can make people dream different dreams. Yeah. Um, and which also brings up even more theories about who Tom Bombadil is, and we just got done talking about a, a ton of those. So it's like we really could go – a long time with who Tom Bombadil is, but there's just so much to cover that it's not even, it's not even worth it. You know, I think that's a good point on why it's not included in, we've talked about this a lot, why it's not included in the movie. Yeah. Because we've talked about like, it'd be another whole hour and it'd be, it just, it's a complete like parting from the main plot line. Um, I mean, this follows plot line, but like it'd be the whole, It'd just be like a whole other thing, but also there's just so much to go into with Tom Bombadil that it w- it would just take away from the main movie, I guess. Yeah. Because, you know, we're just doing this whole episode on just Tom, dude. Yeah. It's a lot to talk about. Yeah, so that's a little bit about the dreams in Tom Bombadil's house. And, uh, yeah, so now I'm going to talk about the Barrow Downs, the Barrow Whites, and the Lost Kingdom of Arnor. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this topic is my bread and butter. I love talking about the history of Arnor and uh, all that sort of stuff. So without further ado, um, Arnor, of course, was one of the realms in exile. We've probably talked about it a lot already in other episodes. Yeah. Um, 
In fact, I think we had one not too long ago where we talked about Arnor, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. And then I also realized we did have an episode before that about Arnor, so we accidentally came out with two Arnor. But you episodes. know, we just covered everything on it. Yeah, basically, we were just we were just trying to make sure all bases were loaded. Yeah, covered. I guess. Um, then we hit it out of the park for a grand slam. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. This yeah. is a grand slam right here. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was one of the realms in exile founded by Elendil towards the end of the Second Age, while Numenor was sinking beneath the waves and the world was changing. Oh. Uh, in all the years prior, throughout the Second Age, mariners and explorers of Numenor. Uh, had been returning to Middle-earth and establishing havens for their ships and their exploits because they started stealing stuff, basically, from the land. Oh, no. Uh, the inhabitants of Eriador, were, uh, where Arnor was eventually founded, were men of the uh, Dark Ages. Or I guess it was like the dark, the Second Age for the men of Middle-earth were the Dark Ages, basically. So they were, they were off to a rough start, basically, mm-hmm. compared to the Numenorians. Um, and they were like ancestors of the Dunlandings and other barbarous folk. Um, though there were also a few of their um, descendants who were simple folk who had lived untouched for many gest- generations. Generations. For many generations in Breeland. Uh, anyways, as Arnor grew in the late Second Age and early Third Age, with the exception of many fine soldiers dying during the War of the Last Alliance. I don't know why I laughed. Aww. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, many strong forts and large cities were built. Uh, some of these were Anuminas, Fornost Arain, uh, Amansul, which is Weathertop, mm-hmm. and other various forts and castles and towns throughout Eriador. Eventually, before the 900s of the Third Age and after the death of the 10th king, Ayarnor, the kingdom split into three as the king's three sons took over different regions. Um, the line of Isildur was, and Elendil was maintained... Um, in Arthodyne, the largest and noblest of the three kingdoms. Uh, and it was led by Aarnor's eldest son, while in the other kingdoms, the other sons took over, and their line uh, died out quickly as other kings of lesser descent took over. Um, Arthodyne controlled much of the important places in Eridor, such as Anuminas, um, though that was abandoned quickly due to depopulation throughout the Middle Third Age and, you know, like the Great Plague and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Fornost, the new capital, uh, called the King's Norbury when the Hobbit settled in, um, and Weathertop all became kind of ruined because of battles and depopulation over time. Um, but because the uh, Arthodyne controlled all three Palantiri of Arnor, uh, Rudarn Cardolan, uh, sorry, jeez, I messed that. I butchered that a little bit. Because they controlled all three Palantiri of Arnor, which are those scene stones, Rudaur and Cardolan, which are the other two kingdoms, fart. Jeez, <laughs> did you say fart? <laughs> I did. I said fart. 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 They they fart. <laughs> they fought with Arthodyne for control of the Palantiri and the main roads. Um, and Bree was a major trade center, um, and it was kind of at a crossroads between like the north-south road and the east-west road, um, and it was likely uh, kind of like taken over, like back and forth between Rudaur and Cardolan. Um, uh, Rudaur, because his kings were quick to branch away from the line of his sealed door, were more prone to manipulation by greater powers and evil powers. Uh, and they began to ally with the trolls and orcs of the Misty Mountains, and especially the evil men and the Witch King of Angmar, a northerly realm focused around the fortress of Karn Doom. Karn Doom. 
Angmar waged war on Cardolan and Arthedain, who had allied against the Witch King, and succeeded in wiping out a greater part of the population so that none of the cities of old were populated anymore, and the Dúnedain took to wandering. Uh, during the war with Angmar in the 1400s of the Third Age, the Witch King conquered Weathertop and killed King Arveleg I and the last Prince of Cardolan, who was one of the Barrowites that I mentioned. Uh, many of the great princes and kings of Arthedain and Cardolan were buried in the Tirn Gorthad, later known as the Barrow Downs. Later, after the hobbits had already been in the Shire for roughly three centuries, the Witch King attacked once more and finally destroyed the long-lasting Arthedain. Cardolan and Rudar had fallen much earlier. Uh, the Witch King, the leader who was the leader of the Ring Race, if you didn't know that, did. also sent. Yeah, I was speaking for the audience. Interesting. Um, he also sent evil spirits into the mounds and barrows of the kings of Cardolan and Arthedain, turning the corpses into Barrowites and wraiths. Since 1975. Of the Third Age, not in our time. Mm -hmm. The ruins of the old forts and the barrows in the hills haunted the lands and crept into mm -hmm. Hobbit legend. Um, Jay, tell us a little bit about these things, these... Uh, the blades. The, the blades, the blades of westerness <laughs> that, they, that they find in the barrows. Yeah, so like Grant said, these are leaf-shaped blades. Um, not maple leaf, but just regular... Like sting, they're long and leaf shaped. Um, uh, and it says they were damasked with serpent forms of red and gold. Fiery stones were set on the strange yet light and strong metal. And the blames blades, not blames. The blades Man, often we're gleamed. really doing good. <laughs> yeah, the blades often gleamed and were considered to be marvelous workmanship. Uh, so, the blades were originally wrought by the smiths of Arf the Dane in the middle of the Third Age. Um, and uh, they were buried along. They were buried in a barrow by Tyrion Gorthad, along with the last prince of Cardolan, who fell in the Battle of Angmar, or with Angmar. Yeah. Um. So, when Frodo, uh, Sam, Merry, and Pippin were imprisoned by the Barrowites, um, like Grant said in his uh summary, Tom came, saved the day, um, and he found the four daggers and gave them to the hobbits. And then he briefly told the hobbits of the origins of the blades. Um, so uh, the blades just come from Arthedane. And um, they're, uh, do these blades glow with orcs like Sting or no? Uh, no, I don't yeah. think so. Yeah, so they... Because um, I think those are like elvish swords that do that. And these are just... Okay, yeah, that makes yeah. sense. But yeah, these are... Uh, they're very valuable swords and... Uh, um, they're really nice swords that the uh, the Barrowites had, but um, they uh, um, they were just found by Tom and given to them. And in the movies, since there's no Tom, I can't remember how they got him in the movies. Either. Yeah, let me look that up while you talk. I because I was just thinking about that um the other day. I can't remember. Yeah, but um. Yeah, so these swords are, uh, um, here, let me look more into, because there's more I want to talk about, but I can't find where I had it. Oh, you better find it. Oh, so the, um, as everybody knows, Tolkien was into, uh, old Norse mythology and 
all that kind of stuff, and really liked Beowulf. So some inspiration for these swords um, uh, can be from the Volsunga saga, because um, swords that dwindle can be found there. And then in Beowulf, the swords melt like ice after decapitating Grendel and his mother. Um, and that's just a... Uh, uh, um, it's just similar to how those swords were... Uh, described in Lord of the Rings. And I'm not going to go into the future of what happened with the swords because that'll just spoil the um, um, the book because um, that it's just some major events happened with these swords. But um, all you really need to know now is that these swords were um, created by uh, the Arthedain and their old swords... Um, not very old because they're like from the third age. So they're not very old in the timeline of middle earth, but they're pretty old swords and they, um, were found by Tom and Tom was just a nice guy and gave it to him. So now the, they're decked out with some weapons. Oh yeah. Um, I did, I did find it out. Um, so yeah, like in the books, Tom gave them the, the blades and they were from the barrows and then, in the movie, apparently Argorn gives them, uh, well, this, I guess this person doesn't really know, um, exactly. Let's see. Hold on. Um, I think it is Argorn who gives it. Yeah, it, it is Aragorn, but I'm just trying to see where he gives it to them. Um, hmm. Um, yeah, there's no mention of where and how Aragorn came by the swords. Um, but he, he gave the swords to the hobbits when they were at Weathertop and they were, um, just like camping out there and they were kind of like, uh, they saw like the barrel whites or not the barrel whites, the, the, uh, the ring wraiths kind of coming up to them. So he was like, here, I found these swords that yeah. are just around the ruins, so you can have these. That kind of takes away from the significance of them. Yeah, and it doesn't even like mention that they're like ancient magical swords that were specifically made to kill like ring wraiths, you mm-hmm. know? It just mentioned they're just swords that are old. Yeah. Um, I guess they were technically daggers to yeah. normal people, but... Um, yeah, so like in the movies, it just kind of is like Argorn's like, hey, I found these. You guys can use these if you want. Look what I found. Four little swords for four little guys. Huh, convenient. Perfect. Yeah, how convenient. Uh, but yeah, so that's what it is in the movie. Yeah, yeah. that's all I got. Cool, man. So uh, yeah, let's uh, let's let's boogie on down s- some trivia, you know. Okay. Uh, where, I'm going to start off, okay? Just to let you know. Okay. Where did the river Withy Windle begin? I don't think I mentioned this, but I think it, it might be obvious enough, hopefully. Um, the sea. Nope. Uh, can you give me a hint? Cause I've yeah, because the river, the river Withy Wendell, Tom, wa- Tom walks down it as it's flowing towards the sea. Oh. So it goes through the old forest, but where does it start? In the Misty Mountains? Nope. No. No, no, it's it's a short river, oh, like real short. Oh, does it start in the? Sh- it starts like right where Tom Bombadil is. 
Oh, in the old forest? In the Barrow Downs. Oh, the Barrow Downs? <laughs> <Yeah>. Oh. <laughs> I guess it wasn't. I was thinking too hard. I was trying I to think of where rivers come from, and I was trying to think of a bigger body of water. Well, yeah, I was mostly just hoping you were like, like, because um, I knew this trivia question would be a little harder, mm-hmm. but I was hoping you would like use a little bit of geography and be like, okay, Tom lives like right next to the Barrow Downs. And yeah. It like you, flows right there. You were it's, thinking I was going to use common sense, but yeah, I was that's okay. Dumb and thinking, yeah. what big lake or <laughs> sea is around there? Yeah, no. Okay, um, this one might be pretty easy because I talked about it a lot. Uh, what finger does Tom put the ring on? <laughs> the little finger, pinky. His little finger. He's just a little itty bitty little finger. Itty bitty. Uh, who did Mary think he was when he woke up from his trance? Uh, the last Prince of Cardwan. Yeah, nice Got dude. It. Um. Uh, uh, this one, I guess, is another easy one. Um, who created the four uh, blades of Westerners? Um, the Dunedain. Is yes. that as simple as it gets? Okay. Yeah, it's simple pimple, dude. Simple pimple, man. Um, last question. What was Tom's pony's name? Tom's... Oh, f- Fatty Lumpkin? Yeah. Fatty Lumpkin. Good name. I Fatty wonder... Because there's Fatty Bulgers. Fatty just like... It just might just be like common a common first name. Yeah, or like a, a term of endearment. I think it's more yeah. like a nickname. Oh yeah, I guess Fatty would be a nickname. Hey, Fatty. Okay. <laughs> um and then okay, uh who is Goldberry's mother? Is this She doesn't have a mother, does she? She has a uh um, well, she has a father. Um, well, she has uh, speculated who her mother is, Goldberry's mother. Oh. It's not a name, it's a... Is it just the river? River Woman. River... Oh, yeah, River Woman's daughter. So, I guess River Mix is correct. Who's the dad? Because I haven't heard anything about a dad. Oh, yeah, no, I think I got two things mixed up. In Who's Nar- this dad guy? In Narnia, they have, like, oh. the river god or whatever. Are we he, talking about Narnia, dude? Yeah, <laughs> and he has, like, he has like these daughters that are, like, naiads and nymphs and stuff yeah. like that. So I just the with a woman. River woman's daughter. Interesting. Okay. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. So let's uh, let's move on to some Wait, Earth. did you have three trivia, or did you already ask me three I already asked you three. Oh, I thought you only did two. Nope. Oh. I asked you three. Oh. Sorry, I'm just being dumb, man. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, it's okay. Well, yeah. So, like Rans was just about to say, we're moving on to Middle Earth Current Events. Yeah, let's do that. Do that. Do that. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Middle Earth Current Events. This is current events on this earth pertaining to Middle Earth. Do you have any current events, Grant? Do you? I have two. Okay, I have one. So, do you want to do a current events sandwich? But what if mine is the same as yours? Because I have a Here, feeling one of them's really big. So I there's this one and this one. Oh. Yeah, yeah. we have different ones. Okay, then. so we'll do a sandwich. We'll do a sandwich. Go ahead. So first one. We uh, really should talk about this before we go into the podcast. Yeah. But I think it's really fun just trying to figure it out as we go. Yeah. So my first one, um, Lord of the Rings actor John Reese davies who played Gimli, yes. uh, is making a comic book. And it's not confirmed that it's Lord of the Rings. Uh but um, uh, it it is confirmed that it has to do with one of his past roles, ah. which, I mean, Gimli's probably his biggest role. Yeah, probably. And it also makes sense with how much is being created with um, Lord of the Rings, like, IP and everything. Yeah, he might have gotten, like, a 
deal with like the whatever their company is mm-hmm. the order middle earth enterprises or something i don't know but it seems like it's not going to be about gimli but it says this is what he said he said this project won't be autobiographical but it will focus on the imaginative lives of some of his characters um so there's two ways it could go it could be his characters of his like previous roles and it could include gimli or it could be a whole separate thing about characters he has created Ah, but there is a chance that it could be a lord of the rings comic book or a comic book about his characters and gimli is in it very interesting because he's also been in indiana jones oh Um, yeah yeah he has i forgot about that yeah but so i mean that'd be interesting if it was an indiana jones lord of the rings crossover comic book yeah but yeah not much is known about it so um but it counts as a middle earth current events because it could be about middle earth and it has to do with john reese davies yes yes so let's get into grants my current event uh the hobbit deluxe edition oh yeah is coming out september 19 which is tomorrow tomorrow uh, it's tomorrow for us let's go as of the recording but for you guys it's it's in the past um for you guys it would be a week ago but yeah you can i think in the uk you can get like this ultra deluxe edition or whatever which is like crazy cool what do they do to deserve that I don't know. Sorry, man. I had such a hard time yeah, putting that, that sentence really out. Bad. What is that? Zoo, 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 what is that? Zoo, zoo. Um, but in you know everywhere else, you can just get like the regular. It's still a deluxe version, so it's got like the nice dust. Yeah, that this one. Sixty-seven fifty in America. Yeah, so US it's got dollars. like a nice green like dust jacket, and it's got like like blue like the outside of the book pages are colored blue with like some dwarvish runes on it. It fits. It's like the same. It's the same, same as, as the Silmarillion and the Lord of the Rings that have come out in the past few yeah. years. So uh, it'll match those. So get those. Yeah. So I'm definitely getting that one to kind of. Uh, Most definitely. Yeah. Keep the collection up because I've got the other two. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. So that one's coming out September 19. Um, I've got a link open so I can read a little bit about it, you know, just in case. Read the book. There is no better time to be a Tolkien fan than right now. This is what the article is saying. Because of the Rings of Power? Well, 2023 is the 20th anniversary of the Return of the King, and as such, the extended edition will be in theaters for a period of time. Yeah, we actually said that. that already happened. Yeah, I was going to say, when was this written? That already happened, but we uh, it, there wasn't any in theaters near us. Oh, yeah, I kind of remember. Yeah, I don't know when this there was. actually was, but it was oh. like at midnight on a weeknight. Yeah. I, we're working men, dude. Yeah. We have... <laughs> We have places to be. We got to get to work. We can't stay and watch a four-hour movie at midnight. No, what the heck? Uh, yeah, this was written April 15, but it still is kind of... It still pertains. It's still, Same it still hasn't happened. It's still yeah. about to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this September, HarperCollins will release an illustrated edition of The Hobbit. Um, these illustrated editions feature beautiful covers lined in Elven script and come complete with illustrations by the legendary creator himself. Tolkien was not only a talented writer and linguist, but an avid and avid illustrator, often supplying publishing companies with his own illustrations to accompany his works. This version will come with 50 maps, and it's not 50 maps; it's 50 illustra- illustrations, including maps yeah. that Tolkien himself drew. But the way the sentence is made, it says 50 maps and illustrations. Because I know I read that at first, and I go, 50 maps? What are they maps of? (laughs) I was like, why are there so many maps? I got really excited, not going to lie, but it was Mm -hmm. stupid. So, Um, uh, Yeah, so The Hobbit was... Okay, well, I guess you guys already know about The Hobbit. Yeah. 
it's yeah. just ex- it's just explaining it to people who don't know. What it's the an exciting is. time to be yeah, a Tolkien uh, fan. The Hobbit Deluxe Illustrated version will be releasing September 19 and is available for pre-order. But by the time this uh, this comes out, you guys won't need to pre-order it. You guys can just go into bookstores or order it online or whatever you do, or yeah. uh, borrow it from the library. It, well, I don't even know, think they would have it in the library. Yeah, that's, I don't think that's the type of book yeah. you can borrow from the library. Uh, so you might have to buy it. It's it, it's a pretty penny. Sixty-eight dollars mm-hmm. in the U.S., um, but yeah, I would say it's worth it. I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah. So yeah. So okay. So that's my current event. Uh, just a new version of the Hobbit's coming out with some illustrations, colored illustrations, yes, maps, cool dust jacket, um, all the good stuff that goes into those. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Now to finish off this uh, sandwich, uh, some not exciting news, but not t- terrible news. Uh, the Lord of the Rings, The War of the Rohirrim uh, release was delayed until December of 2024. Yeah. So originally it was set to release in April of 2024, uh, April 12th, but it got set moved to December 13th of next year, uh, 2024, that is. So is, is that because of the writer's strike or something? Yeah. I would assume so, yeah. It has to do with, because um, uh, it's a Warner Bros. movie, uh, Warner Bros. has been pushing out movies because of the writer's strike and also the actor's strike, but this is an anime. I mean, I guess the voice voice actors, if they're part of the Actors Guild, but yeah. the writer's strike and the actor's strike have pushed the movies out. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, not much to it other than that. It got delayed a few more months, but um, it's just a... I know. can tell you in all honesty, I don't care about any of that stuff. <laughs> About the writer strike about or the, the writers, war? Oh, about okay. the writer strike, I don't really care. I haven't really been following it. I think the because big- I don't really watch like every once in a while. I'll watch like a new movie, especially with my wife, because she really likes to watch new movies. But it's like I just don't care about up and coming movies, so I just don't care if people are on strike. Like I can yeah. wait another year for a movie. I yeah, I think the thing they're striking for. I mean, uh, from what I've understand of it, some of it has to do with AI, and I think it's good that. Oh yeah, that yeah. There because. They don't want movies to be written by AI, or the actors don't want um, their replaced by AI. Yeah, their like likeness to be replaced by AI. Because I did see this thing that earlier this year. I don't know if it's still going. It's not in Hollywood, but I think it was like a Korean film or something, or some foreign film cast James Dean in the movie. Um, if you don't know, James Dean was he was an actor from a while ago who died young. Yeah. Um, he uh got cast in the movie because they could like digitally recreate him um just like how they do like in star wars when they made luke young and yeah. uh brought back princess leia carrie fisher even after she was dead uh so that can gets into like some weird territory of like yeah like casting dead people in movies yeah it's just weird i don't know because it's just like a whole new a uh, whole new territory that we haven't humans haven't really explored yet the final frontier yeah, <laughs> who who would have thought it'd be AI, dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess a lot of people thought it would be AI. Yeah. <laughs> I just meant movie, people getting cast in movies. Oh. But yeah, I guess that it took a dark turn. A little but, bit, a little bit. But yeah, so that's it for current events, Middle Earth, current events, Middle, Middle Earth, Earth, current Earth. events. <laughs> I said that backwards. Yeah, I don't know that was weird. Uh, but I hope you enjoyed that sandwich. A little sandwich, a little um, little, little knuckle sandwich. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? Uh. Go Lions. Yep.
tough week for us, dude. Tough loss for us, but you know what? We lost in overtime. I guess that's better than losing in the regular game. <laughs> but it wasn't. It um, was, Saturday was good because Michigan won and MSU lost. Yep. Yeah, and yeah, MSU lost by a ton, so that was great. Yeah. Um, and their and their coach. <laughs> uh yeah. Well, that coach lost. In that's life. not great, but yeah. Uh yeah, we don't have to talk about. <laughs> Anyways, that. Uh, yeah. So. Go blue, go lions, go Middle Earth, exploring Middle go Earth. Middle Earth. What's Middle Earth's football team? Do you think? What's their mascot? Okay, wait, hold on, hold on. That's that's too broad. I'll just give you like two of them. What would Gondor's mascot be? Um, because we know what Ro- Rohan's would obviously be a horse. The horsies. Yeah, but what would like Gondor's be? Do you think? Um. Well, I feel like. The what do you, the white tree, but that's not like a scary thing. But that's like a they already have that symbol. Yeah, but like, is that even like a good mascot? Like, what if they had a football team? Would well, it be a the tree? Stanford trees. Stanford has a tree as their mascot, but that's not. That's not scary, dude. Yeah. What do you think? Um. <laughs> that is pretty difficult. Yeah. Um. Man. Yeah, I don't even know because there's almost like no animals that are connected with it. They could just be the fighting trees. The fighting tree, fighting well, white trees. Yeah, but you could, you could. I mean, Ents could fight. Yeah, but they're like in Rohan, basically. Yeah, I, think. I was just thinking of like trees as like. Yeah, uh, Haradwaith or Haradwaith or whatever. Mm-hmm. They would be like the Mumakil, the Oliphants yeah. for sure, and then like. The Lonely Mountain could be a dragon. Yeah. Numenor could be like the the sailors or something. Oh, yeah. The There's sail- some nautical mariners. Thing, mariners. Yeah. Uh, Mordor would probably be like a fell beast or something like that. Yeah. Um, or the eyes. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, or think like Sauron, Isengard. They would yeah. probably be like, I don't know, the White Hands is kind of another weird one. I guess that's better the than orcs. the orcs. The Uruk. <laughs> the Uruk. Um, what would the Shire be? Um, I don't know, because the Shire's like all peaceful and everything. So, for the most part, so I don't know, I can't think of like a scary... Thing. All I can think of is like the Green Dragon. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. They could be the Wizards because Gandalf oh, is yeah, there all the, the time. Wizards. The Wizards. The Shire Wizards. The Shire yeah. Wizards. Just a little, yeah, just a little food for thought. Just something to think yeah. about. Why don't you guys you guys email us uh, and let us know um, some good sports teams names and regions of yeah, yeah. in Middle Earth uh, that our email is exploringmiddleearthpod at gmail dot com. Let us know and maybe you can maybe we can create like a bracket of like the best teams. And yeah, the best team names and we'll yeah yeah. Um, I know there was like um. Like circulating the internet, there was like this thing that went around. I don't know what artist it was or anything, but they would make like middle, like these like little like graphics of like Middle Earth themed like breweries and stuff like that. Oh, that's cool. So there's like Mordor, like uh, like Porter or like something like that, and then there was mm-hmm. the like the Shire, like Golden Ale or Pilsner or something like that, and they just kind of had these cool like little graphic graphics and art pieces that went with them. So. Yeah, maybe someone could come up with some cool uh, Middle Earth sports teams and like logos and stuff. Do you think cool. there's sports in Middle Earth? Because the only sport that's mentioned is golf. Actually, yeah. I mean, well, I guess, yeah, golf. But that's almost like in a joking 
way that it's yeah. mentioned, but still, you don't you don't see any courses out there. Tolkien doesn't mention any courses <laughs> out there. Yeah, but I mean, if you think about it, the Shire is really green and like hilly. It, it's hilly, but like the the turf is like pretty short. I would say. Yeah. It's a lot of farmland, so I guess you could have golf courses out there, and it would be fine. But um, hobbits don't seem like. I mean, golf can also be a relaxing sport. It seems yeah. like a hobbit sport. But I also think it like I think it talks about like in it's either in the Hobbit or the Lord of the Rings. Uh, it talks about Bilbo, but he yeah yeah there are sports. I think there's bowling. Oh, that would make sense. Maybe not bowling in the sense of what we think of in the modern day, but it it, it has. It mentions like Bilbo's really good at like games that have to do with like aiming mm-hmm. and precision, like throwing darts too. I think is one of them. Yeah. So maybe not like organized team sports, but there's no football. Yeah, that's American football we're talking no, about. Oh yeah, American football, not but soccer. Saki. Soccer. Sorry to all our European listeners. Yeah. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, yeah. So that's the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Catch us next time with the. Episodes nine and ten, chapters nine and ten. Chapter oh yeah, (laughs) episodes nine and ten. Yeah, go back and listen to those. Um, yeah, chapters nine and ten. What I don't even remember what the chapters are. Uh, wait, hold on, I got this. At the sign of the prancing pony and Strider. Nice. Pretty sure I got it. Uh, We'll we'll find out next week. Also, just because I think I I just read those chapters, so yeah, boom. Yeah, uh, go ahead and read those, and we'll be back next week with some deep dives on those. See y'all later. See ya.